There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 410. And today in the show, I'm joined by Clay Newcomb to discuss the murky future of hunting in America and actionable ways to ensure that this lifestyle and pursuit is around for many generations to come. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today in the show, I am joined by Meteor contributor, bow hunter, mule rider, coon dog runner, and general outdoorsman extraordinaire, Clay Newcomb. And we're here for a damn good chat. We're talking today about the future of hunting and some very real risks to that future. You see, there are people out there and organizations and forces that would see, you know, they'd see our way of life and our hunting pursuits relegated to the past, something that used to happen but doesn't anymore. And there's a lot of reasons for this. There's a lot of motivations, but whether we like it or not, whether we want to think about it or not, it's a reality. And the thing is, if if we as a hunting community don't stay abreast of this and we don't do something about it when called upon, it's it's honestly not out of the question that the hunting privilege we enjoy today might not be around for our kids or our grandkids and so on. So Clay and I today are going to dive into some of these issues and some of these topics related to, because the ways that we can help ensure the future of hunting, they're not always clear cut. It's not like there's just one clear, one size fits all answer. It's not like, hey, if all hunters do X and we all do it the exact same way, it's all going to be just fine. It's it's a little bit more complicated than that. And that's why this this whole topic is has been interesting. Really, it's been interesting for me personally. I've wrestled with a lot of questions on it. And it's nice that in this case, I was finally able to lay some of those questions out there and bounce them around with someone else who's been thinking about this too. Things like, you know, how can we band together and support our fellow hunters, even if we do it in different ways? You know, this whole, we're all in the same boat thing. But also, how can we ensure that no one's punching holes in that boat and sinking the whole thing? We talk about ways to handle questions and controversies around things maybe like predator hunting, 
uh, that maybe aren't things that we personally participate in, but can still impact the future of deer hunting and the like. And that's just one example. Uh, what about stuff related to you know the, the whole public relations of hunting, the whole PR battle? Why is that important and the role that each one of us can play on that front? So that's the plan. I won't belabor it too much here in the front end, but this this honestly was one of the more engaging and interesting conversations I've had in a while. I, I really enjoyed it. And I think you will too. So with that, thanks for listening and let's get to the show. All right. With me now on the line is Clay Newcomb. Clay, welcome back to the show. Hey, Mark. Great to be here on the Wired to Hunt podcast for sure. Hey, I'm glad to have you. It's, uh, well, what, I guess since the last time you were on the show, things have changed quite substantially for you because since then, which I think was last spring sometime, uh, you've officially joined the Meteor team. So publicly, welcome to the crew, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Yeah, you're right. Last time I was on the podcast, I was I was not a, a Meat Eater team member. Now I am. And since that time, you and I have gotten to know each other better. And uh yeah, I was I was hired with Meteor back in October, early October 2020. Yeah. So, you know, coming on uh I guess 6 months or so and it's been incredible so far. Yeah, so for people that maybe don't know, what what are you doing? What do you do for us now? So, so I'm a content creator for Meteor, which would be similar Mark really to what you do, I guess. I'm not sure your exact title, but uh I don't know what my title is either, man. (laughs) You're you're just Mark Kenyon. Um, I guess so. So so what I do currently is I, uh, you'll see content produced from me on a monthly basis, multiple times per month where I'm making videos or writing articles for Meat Eater, number one. Number two, this is no secret, but we've kind of held it back uh, because we've, we've, we haven't launched it yet, but, but I'm going to be doing a, a, a podcast for Meat Eater that will become a podcast in Meat Eater's suite of podcasts, which, you know, Wired to Hunt is one of those podcasts that's in the Meat Eater family. So at some point this spring, soon, I will I, we'll be launching a totally new podcast, which I'm very excited about. And we can talk about that more later, Mark. Yeah. But so I'm going to be making a podcast, making content, and just – Contributing to the whole meat eater mission, you know, uh, I was able to hunt with Steve and the guys last spring in Montana. So, you know, there's some, I'll be on some meteor episodes and, uh, and, uh, just, just like all the team members at different times were on the meteor podcast, but, uh, just in general doing whatever meteor needs and making some great content, trying to educate people, trying to have fun. Yeah. We're doing. Well, uh, so far so good, man. I've, I've enjoyed everything you've put out there and it's, it's, it's great to have you in the fold and, and obviously a lot of exciting stuff coming down the line. So, um, I'm just glad to have you, glad to have you here, buddy. And, yeah. uh, and what, what I want to talk about today, I think is, is a big part of the reason why you're such a great fit for our team here at Meat Eater, because you've done a better job than, than most, I think, in in kind of i don't want to say preaching cuz there's some maybe there's a negative connotation if in a certain way there but but right. you've been you've been speaking the good word on an important issue 
that I think sometimes we here in the whitetail hunting community can overlook. It's it's easy for even myself personally. Uh, I'm I'm so deep into the whitetail thing. I eat, sleep, and breathe this thing almost every day. I'm thinking about it. It's easy to get tunnel vision and to just think deer, 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 um, and not to pay attention to things that go outside of that. So I have to constantly remind myself, kind of knock myself on the side of the head and say, hey, make sure you're paying attention to this thing that's going on on the West Coast or this thing that's happening with this critter or that fish or this type of land. Because, Because I do think all of these things do come back and impact us as hunters, regardless of what species you hunt. And so that's, that's what I want to get into here with you. And you've, you've popularized, I don't don't know if you coined this yourself, but I think you did this idea of guarding the gate. Can you, can you tell me what that means? We we covered this a little bit a year ago when you were first on the show, but I want to really expand on it. What's this whole guarding the gate thing? So I think, I think we'll take a step back from that phrase and we'll get to it and i and i kind of want to set the context for the 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 question that we would all have that i would have is that why would a why would a whitetail hunter care about the broader issues of north american hunting and i think we've all got to view because well first of all there are many parts of the the north american hunting model that are in in significant jeopardy and Mark, I grew up with whitetail hunting being my number one thing. I mean, like I was a white, only a whitetail hunter for a long time. And, um, and you just have this security and sense. I mean, there's just no, there just does not seem to be a, a real and present threat to whitetail hunting for many, many, many reasons. Um, so as a whitetail hunter, I entered into the bear world at when I, you know, about 2009 or so and, and started getting on the national scene with the bear world. And I was pretty shocked by what I saw in that bear hunters were, or, or bear hunting was significantly under attack by anti-hunting groups. I mean, like very much so targeted on purpose by anti-hunting groups. And number two, I was surprised at the general sentiment in different places of the hunting community even or in the non-hunting community about the ideology around bear hunting. So these were these where these two worlds collided. And I didn't see a connection in these two worlds until I got deeper into it on the national scene. And I realized that if we if you value any piece of north american hunting then every piece of north american hunting needs to be important to you and first of all like it's so significant that we understand that and it sounds like i'm preaching to the choir but i'm not because i'm talking to myself too we live an incredible life as hunters in modern times mark i mean even you being able to go out and you're backyard in Michigan and hunt deer and have opportunity. And yeah. I mean, no, very few places in the world is, is there anything even comparable? Yeah. And so we live here. This is all we've known. I've grown up. This is my life, but man, the world is a small place. And with the changes that have happened with technology and social media and the 
I mean, for lack of a better term and not to touch a political hot button, but globalization, I mean, like the world is now this like really small place. And so things that used to be not seen by the world are now seen by the world. Things that at one time would have only been um, influenced by like a small community of people is now being influenced by the ideologies and worldviews of people who have nothing to do with what we do. Yeah. And that is a place we've never been before, ever. And it's put all kind of stuff, not just hunting, but hunting is one of these things that has come into the spotlight and people don't understand the context. They don't understand the science. They don't understand the heritage. They don't understand the worldview of the people that do it. They don't understand the motivations of the people that are doing these things. And anti-hunting groups have very strategically and very much on purpose they have marketed this to a broad group of people. It's a very, very easy sell for anti-hunting groups to say bear hunting is bad. I mean, like it's a one-step sell for someone who has no worldview uh, that, 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 that involves wildlife as a renewable resource and habitat management and, and why, you know, managing these populations so that they'll thrive. Like, so it's like a one-step sell for that. And then it's like a five-step, ten-step sell to bring people to a, a place of zero understanding to an understanding where they go, wow, actually these guys are doing something good. Yeah. Well, anti-hunting groups have picked up on that, and, and we've actually become the cash cow in many ways of these nonprofit anti-hunting groups because uh, they, they're able to, to sell this. So I, the, the, this – Topic is so broad, Mark, I'm, I'm having a hard time narrowing it down. But, but the idea of guard the gate is that – the whole idea is that uh, there are fringe – and I'm going to use that word. And I may change that word one day, but I'm currently not offended by that word. Uh, th there are fringe activities inside of hunting. And by fringe, I mean less, um, less people actually do it. More people do other things. There are fringe activities inside of hunting that are intricate, intricate parts of the North American model, like bear hunting, trapping, predator hunting, uh, using dogs, using bait, like all these things. They might seem to someone that doesn't use those things as just, man, we could just give that away. Like, it's not going to hurt me if that stuff leaves. Well, it, it actually does. If you want this thing to continue beyond your – and I hate to even say this because it's so far out. Humans have such a hard time thinking long term, but we, we've absolutely got to. We've absolutely got to think long term. Um, but if you want this lifestyle that we lead to continue on to future generations, then we have to care about the whole system. And we have all kind of examples of this, Mark inside of of history because um, it might seem like conspiracy theory you might be like oh clay's just one of those dudes you, that you, just do, you sound like one of those kooks clay yep yeah yeah <laughs> and and man what's so like from my personal experience i if you would have come to me in arkansas and, clay, and said clay hunting is under threat your children won't be able to hunt the same way you have 
I would have laughed at you. Like, you know, probably 10 years ago, Mark, I would have just been like, yeah, everybody's got some conspiracy theory about yeah. how they're coming after them and going to take away their stuff that ain't going to happen. Well, I am the level-headed voice of reason that is coming to say, man, we got to be on our toes. We got to be thinking more than just next year. We got to be thinking long term. And, uh, and, and so, we can look back in, in conservation history and say that the guys that did that are the guys that we make statues of and name conservation organizations after because we realize the insight they had. You know, and, and, and I mean, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that is me, that Mark, uh, that came off wrong. But, you know, just like we've got to think that way. Yeah, you know? I, I know what you mean. So, so help me help illustrate this because I, I get, I mean, I 100% get this concept, this idea that these, these, these outside of the center activities or the fringe activities that are, they're less popular and that makes them an easier target. I understand that those are, are more easily attacked by those who, who don't support hunting. But help me understand, help folks listening understand how those edges being chipped away at could eventually lead to impacting right. what a whitetail hunter is doing. Because like you said, there's a lot of whitetail hunters that do not feel like what we're doing here is under clear and present threat, right? I mean, there's right. 10 right. million... 900, 9 million deer hunters or something like that. And generally something, a very high percentage of folks out there across the country are still supportive of deer hunting for food or hunting for food, that kind of thing. So you might be able to sit back and say, yeah, it's not really going to impact me. Um, right. Paint me this scenario where that might not be true. Right. So the declared position and the the clear and pr the, the the clear strategy of anti hunting groups is incrementalism, and that's the phrase that that people could remember and key in on, which means that when when they're trying to take the whole of something, you you just can't reach in and take the whole. They can't just come in and say we're passing a bill in the United in the Congress where all hunting is over. Like that's not going to work. They know that, so that they chip off the edges. It's called incrementalism. And the thing is, is that, I mean, the Humane Society of America made a statement, the CEO back in the 90s, that they have a, their goal is to end all hunting, what they call sport hunting. Like, so that's, that's their end goal. And, and again, when you look at the, look at the way these organizations work, they're massively well-funded and these nonprofits like these guys, if if they successfully ended bear hunting, they still have massive financial interest in in making money. And 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 so they're gonna just go after the next thing and make the next thing the target. Like it's like a like a like an animal that just has to continue to be fed. Um so I'm not saying it's all money. I'm saying money is a big part of it. I'm also saying that there are people that truly are passionate about ending sport hunting and they're not, they're not, they're not going to come to a place where they're just like, okay, that's enough. It looks like now, you know, the hunting world in North America is we're satisfied with where it's at. We're going to let these boys keep deer hunting and shooting squirrels. Uh, that's just not the way they think. Um, and, and we see this, 
in many places in the world. Uh, for instance, Mark, I've got a in my office right here. I, I have a painting, an old painting of an English uh, an English fox hunt. And on this painting, there's a bunch of dogs, a bunch of walker dogs, and there's a bunch of men on horseback, and they're in this beautiful village, and there's there's families around bringing food to the hunters. And uh, I have that painting mounted on the ceiling of my office, okay? And so when people walk in, they go, huh, why is that on the ceiling and not on the wall? And it's it's symbolic. Uh that scene is no longer on the earth anymore. Like in, in most places in all of Europe, it is illegal to hunt fox with hounds. There's a few places it still is. But essentially this one thing that was so significant to European culture, you know, 150 years ago, which when you see that, I mean, like even people that aren't hunters, when they see that, they go, oh man, that's one of those fox hunts. I mean, that, that, that permeated the world. And, uh, Today, they can't do it, and uh, it's a, to me, it's a reminder that I don't want people to be making paintings about the glory days of North American hunting and it not, no longer be here, you know. Mark, does that answer your question in some ways, or could I be more sp- specific? No, it does. It does answer my question, and, and I, it also brings to mind, uh, you mentioned incrementalism. I think another kind of cousin – uh, to incrementalism is something known as shifting baseline syndrome, um, yeah. which is this idea that each one of us um, has kind of an internal baseline when we when we think about a, a concept or a or a quality of life or whatever. And and usually for many of us, we we establish some kind of baseline in our early adulthood. Um, and, and this can apply to a lot of different realms, but let's just think about in the case of hunting, we come into the world and we establish kind of what's okay. And so we see what's around us and we see like, oh yeah, people hunt for deer, people hunt for bears, people hunt for uh, all these different critters and they, they have this lifestyle and there's all these things. But if we fast forward 20 years from now and then all of a sudden you start seeing inc- this this incremental impact of, well, now you can't bait for bears or now you can't use hounds for bears all these things happen in a this state or that state or this thing gets outlawed in this state and you start seeing all these tiny shifts being made these tiny chips away at the larger statue all of a sudden for much of the world or much of the country that baseline starts shifting and once that baseline shifts the next thing becomes that much less of a change. So if you were to compare what was okay, quote unquote, 20 years ago to what might be deemed as okay, quote unquote, you know, in 2040, all of a sudden that baseline could be shifted significantly, so much so that then when they think, well, should you really be able to bow hunt for deer anymore? I don't know. You can't use bait to hunt bears. You can't use dogs to hunt bears. You can't use this. You can't hunt predators at all. You can't do this and this and this. Yeah. And and why can't you do that? Well, it's because we've all, um, this is this, this, uh, you know, hypothetical person in the future who's saying this, well, we decided that this thing's not ethical and this thing's not ethical and this thing's not ethical. So yeah, I don't think that using a bow is ethical anymore because it's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, And if this baseline keeps moving, it leads to those things becoming an easy next step to be, mm-hmm. to be crossed off the list. Um, yeah. and so that's something I think that is, is tied into this whole conversation too, because it's, it's kind of like a dam 
we've got this dammed up reservoir and every time a little hole is poked in that dam, some water shooting out of it. And we might be able to hold most of that reservoir back, but every additional hole poked in it, it becomes easier and easier and easier to lose the water until one day that dam's going to burst open and the whole damn thing's going to go flushing down the river system. We got to keep the holes plugged. We got to keep the yeah. dam in place. If the thing that the dam is holding up is your lifestyle, your passion, this thing that we, that both of us and probably everybody listening, this thing we all believe is, is an important thing, not just for us personally, but also in the big picture, an important, an important part of North American culture and management and conservation of wildlife resources, all those things are dependent on having an active and engaged hunting population. Um, if that dam yeah. breaks, all that changes. Yeah. That's a great point, Mark. The shifting baseline really is. And here's, you know, if we started back in the deep history of modern North American hunting, we would be talking about like the market hunting era that turned into in the early 20th century, the, 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 these first and fresh ideas of wildlife management, yep. conservation, wildlife management and regulated harvest and all these things. There were times when parts of our hunting culture needed to be shaved off. If you're with me, yep. like there, you know, like the market hunting world, like that wasn't cool. We didn't know it at the time. But it, like it wasn't sustainable. It wouldn't last. And then then we came into this whole idea, you know, with Roosevelt and Aldo Leopold and uh, and all these great conservation organizations coming of age. And then we have this like incredible, I mean, the most one of the most well, the most unique story in modern human history of wild of bringing back wildlife is this the story of North American wildlife recovery, you know, that's taken place in the last 150 years in this country. So there were things that needed to be shaved off by society. Like, yeah, we probably shouldn't be like uh, market hunting for ducks, you know, killing a thousand ducks on the water at the same time. Yeah, we shouldn't be, you know, doing buffalo jumps, uh, you know, that's a bad example. But, you know, market hunting for buffaloes. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Here's the point. We have fine-tuned the North American model of wildlife conservation to the point that we have nothing left to give. And I'm not saying that it's perfect, Mark, but what I am saying is we've got nothing left to give the anti-hunting community. And we ha we've proven that by our track record of the success of the 29 big game species in North America and the and we know that most of these animals are indicator species in these habitats. So, you know, if you've got Arkansas black bears in Arkansas, that means that a whole lot of non-game species are doing good too. Because if that bear is there, that means that this whole, this whole order of habitat is in order all the way down to the micro crustaceans, you know? And so like, point being, our, our track record speaks for us that this has worked. So we, we found this like beautiful place in history where we can say what we're doing is working. What we're doing will last another 500 years, you know, if this place is still here that long. So we found this like great spot to just say what we're doing is working. 
Let's keep doing this. And that's where, and, and, and what I like to say is we've got nothing left to give the anti-hunting community um, because we've shaped, we've, the chaff has gone away. We've shaved off, we've honed, we've changed. And so anything that's lost at this point is, is going to be negative for hunting. And, um, you know, and, and we go back to all the way, and, and this goes back to educating people, you know, like somebody might say, well, I don't like baiting bears. Well, anywhere that you bait bears in North America, it's a management decision for wildlife game agencies to be able to harvest the number of bears they need to harvest. Well, I don't like hunting with hounds. Well, anywhere that you can hunt with hounds, it's been a, it is, de- it is designed as a wildlife management tool by the agencies that love wildlife, want to see them thrive. They've chosen to use hound hunting as a method to selectively harvest animals out of the population. Well, I don't like, um, you know, being able, you know, you just go down the list and it's like, we've got an answer for everything. There's not, there's not just some fluff, um, that needs to be shaved off. And I think that's the point and that's the declaration that we've kind of make, got to make as a community. And so that's where, like, I want to give my support to things that I may never even be that interested in. I've never killed a bear over hounds, Mark. That might surprise some people because I'm so outspokenly for hounds. And uh, I've never killed a bear over hounds. I pro- I'm sure I will someday. But, like, I I don't even – and it's this is a, a long story, but I'm just trying to – describe a point that I try to live is that I don't own bear dogs. We can't hunt bear here in Arkansas with dogs. I do own coon hounds that come from bear lines, but man, I I just feel like it would be a massive loss for us to lose bear hunting with hounds. Um, Go ahead, Mark. Yeah. So, so I want to bring up a tough question around this issue. Not hunting with dogs in particular, but, but this is the thing I struggle with thinking about. There's, there's two, there's two different angles on this that I've heard taken. And I'm not saying I endorse this. I'm, I'm acting sure. a little bit as a devil's advocate here to try to help you and I, and, and anyone listening to better, to better formulate how we can think about this and speak about this. There's one idea, which is kind of the stonewall strategy, which is essentially what I think you're advocating for here, which is there's no more to give. If we give any more, we're poking more holes in the dam. The dam will come down if we give any more. Um, there's another angle that some people would promote, which would be to protect the greater whole sacrifice sacrificial lambs are necessary let yeah, me let me expand yeah. on that a little bit let's let's <clears throat> let's say that there's there's a case that some people might make which is that hunting for food is a sustainable supported approved thing today and likely in the future polling has shown that et cetera et cetera et cetera um and and whether we like it or not a tremendous amount of what we do as hunters is a privilege that is only granted to us as long as the general public supports of it. Because we've seen that very quickly if public support swings the other way, legislation can get rammed through and can change that fast. So one might say that the most important thing we can do to preserve the larger whole of hunting 
is to make sure that we don't lose the PR battle. If we lose the PR battle, we could lose hunting in a day. Right. Stick with me here. So it, it, with this line of thinking, and again, I want to make it clear, this is not what I'm personally advocating. I'm simply yeah. trying to help. Yeah, I see where you're going, Mark. Yeah. What, what could be said is that if we want to protect the future of hunting in general and hunting for food in general, we cannot stand up for something that is far outside of that because it is antithetical to the larger thing. So an example I saw on social media recently was that someone posted, this is a hunter, posted about uh, some film that was coming out recently that was examining predator hunting competitions and how you know, hundreds and hundreds or thousands of thousands of coyotes and predators and different things like that were being killed for sport competition, thrown into dumpsters, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a lot of negative optics around this. And there was a lot of people saying, man, that does not look good for hunting. That is a Mm -hmm. bad look. And if the general public sees something like this, they're really quickly going to say, man, if that's what hunting's about, I can't support that. And Mm -hmm. if that's the case, it leads to bigger and bigger chunks of the hunting world being crossed off the list for that reason. So this this kind of goes back to something that our mutual friend Steve has talked about, which is, hey, we're all in the same boat. Let's be supportive of each other. But hey, if you're blowing holes in the boat, then we've got an issue. If you're going to sink yeah. the boat, then we've got an issue. So how do we reconcile those things, Clay? Like, ha, yeah. what do you think about that? Because I, Because I... I well, have a lot of like questions around this too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I do too. And I and I love that you brought this up because this is a real thing that we've got to deal with and think about. And first of all, if 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 we could just make a deal, like if we could just sit down with the top level leaders that would govern all of the anti-hunting movement for the next 50 years and we could say tell you what we'll give you some of this fringe stuff if you'll just leave us alone on the other stuff i I just don't think you could do it uh number one that's never going to happen you remember what i kind of the scenario i described about these these big groups being massively influenced by money. Yeah. Like if they get rid of one thing, they're going after another. So that's just like an untrue premise that if we chopped this off, then the rest of it would be safe. So there's, and somebody might disagree with me. Like there there might be somebody that would say, well, but that's not true. And I would just say, show me where that's not been true. Show me where there is a anti-hunting group that says, tell you what, boys, we like you guys. We want to play fair. You give us that, and it will just leave you alone. That just doesn't happen. So, so it's, I agree with that. And and sorry, I'm gonna jump in here. I just want to insert one yeah. more thought because I I want to challenge these ideas, and I'm not challenging sure. you person, but I want to challenge these it. ideas. I love it. Just because, like, I need to solidify my thinking, and I think we all need to to, to make sure we've got a good way to think and talk about this stuff. So that's why I want to present these these kind of conflict these conflicts a little bit, so that we can all kind yeah. of understand it and think about it. Um, so, so let me throw another devil's advocate thing in there, which is maybe like we can never, as you're saying, we can never satisfy the anti-hunting groups. 
will never be able to satisfy that extreme fringe of this movement who is anti-hunting. And and I think most research shows that the actual anti-hunting groups are really just, you know, a, a relatively small portion of the greater population, like people who are actively right. anti-hunting 5% of the population or something like that. So the, the, you might say that the bigger piece of the puzzle is not the anti-hunting fringe, but it is the 70% that live in the middle or whatever right. that number is, this big chunk in the middle who are kind of like indifferent. It usually doesn't enter their sphere of influence. They never think about it. Uh, they're generally like if someone said, hey, are you okay with someone doing this? Depending on the situation, they'll say, oh, yeah, okay. Or maybe they'll hear it and like, ah, no, not so much. So it's more so like we we kind of represent this, the fringe too. We represent 5% of the population that does hunt. And then there's this 5% of the population that's like super anti-hunting. And so one might say that rather than caring so much about that fringe 5%, really we should be thinking about how do we win over the middle 70 or the middle you know 90 or whatever it is. Um, and so in that case, you might say, we can never satisfy these other folks. Let's just try to satisfy that middle. Now, as I'm yeah. saying this, I could also see the argument to what I just said could be that because of the influence of the fringe anti-hunters, they will keep shifting the baseline for the center. And if the baseline for that 90% keeps shifting because of the actions of the radical few, that then could lead to, you know, issues, uh, I don't know, Clay. Maybe I'm going too far yeah. down this rabbit hole, but it's no. I, I understand what you're saying, and you're very much so right in that it's the people that don't care that will be the ones that decide. So, really, in many ways, it's a marketing battle. Yeah, it's a marketing battle. Like they're telling their story, we're telling our story, and it's the eighty percent that interpret the story and make the decision. And your numbers are are the numbers that I have in my head too, Mark. I mean, like I don't I don't want to pay I don't want to give too much credit to the anti-hunting groups, but I don't want to minimize them either because, you know, some people are like, ah, it's not real, not anti-hunting groups. You know, they're not really doing much, but they are in that they're influencing massive segments of people who didn't care. And and you don't even have to radicalize people to win. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, like, so like there's these people that are like dedicating their lives to the anti-hunting. Yeah, you're right. That's like 5%, like small, small numbers. But them just tipping over somebody who doesn't care in the direction of them is a massive win for them and a loss for us, you know. And I think easier. I think yeah, oh, it's way easier. easier. So I, I would say like if we're going to if we're going to say there's their 5% versus our 5% and then there's that 90% in the middle, whatever. Um it's absolutely easier for the scales to be tipped in their favor because I think the story they're telling does resonate with more people that are divorced from hunting in the outside world, absolutely. right? Um, yeah, and this is not news it's to anyone a, it's listening. A one, it's a one-step sell. Yeah, yeah, you made that point earlier. It's a one-step sell for them. It's a 10-step sell for us because we've got to bring them on yeah. board with, well, actually, we aren't indiscriminately killing animals. Actually, we use these animals in many different ways. Actually, they're carefully managed. Actually, we really care and support these things. Actually, we 
pay for conservation. Actually, we, we, we give back and bring family members and children into this thing and we steward the landscape and we steward that. That's a long, complicated story to tell. Yeah. They can simply yeah. bay, they could simply put a picture on Facebook and say, look at this murderer and what they did to ABCDFG or look at this comment that was written here. These guys are bloodthirsty, nasty killers that are killing Simba or they're killing Beluga the bear or, or whatever it is. And very quickly you can, switch people to the other camp, at least for that day or that week or that petition um, or that ballot measure. Um, So it's tough. It's very tough. It's very tough. And, and and I want to say something that I heard Shane Mahoney say, and I want to give him credit for this because he changed the way that I perceive this is you might've heard me talking and in, in like the trend of the age and in anything is division is like them and us, you know, the bad guys, the good guys, this worldview versus that worldview. And unfortunately, in this scenario, in there's some places where that's just unavoidable. Like we, there are two worldviews that are colliding here, and that is just the, the, the nuts and bolts of the situation. But what, what I've heard Shane Mahoney say is that, like, we're not – we're not adversarial against the people that don't understand because those are the people that we're trying to give a good picture of what we do and an understanding of what we do. And I, I've said it many times. It's like, I want to have empathy towards people that just don't understand our lifestyle. Like, I mean, there's plenty of people that live in urban places or not even in urban places. There's people that live in my town here in Arkansas that don't understand modern hunting. And like, I'm not, I can't be like mad at that person for that, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so like, I don't want people to interpret what I'm saying as like a point of, a point of division, us and them. Like really the way we need to look at it is, hey, we have a lifestyle that we believe is, is noble, is valuable, is worth sustaining. Uh, it's misunderstood and it's in, in, and we've made mistakes in the past, but it's our job to represent our lifestyle in modern times in the most noble, honorable way that we can with the intent of showing the world a true picture of who we are. And, um, that does involve some direct confrontation at times. And we'll talk about like later, some specific things that, that we can do, mm-hmm that are going to help that part of it. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that, that's just a thought I had, Mark, cause I, I don't, I, I don't really, I don't like confrontation, man. I mean, like <laughs> I didn't like just wake up one day and decide to start saying this stuff. I don't believe you. know what you. I mean? I don't believe you, Clay. Because <laughs> I, I saw you you posted a video on Instagram the other day where you were directly challenging Steve Rinella on how shitty his crow call sounded. <laughs> so you, my friend, are a glutton for conflict if you're oh, willing to debate man. him on crow calls. <laughs> if, if that is true, then I... I, maybe it's true, Mark. Maybe it's true, but I would rather just get along with everybody. I would rather Steve Rinella just listen to me and blow the crow call the right way, and then all this would have been over. You know what I'm saying? But it doesn't matter to get him to gobble. <laughs> but, oh, I, I know, digress. I, I digress. Yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, exactly. But no, I I know what you mean, and I'm I'm right there with you in the same boat. But it's it's this it's. 
it's a weird situation that I find us in because you're right. Like we, we, uh, we want to bridge gaps. We want to build a coalition of support. We want to support others within this community of hunting. At the same time, we have to win the PR battle. And that's where I feel like the real challenges lie. I I see the two sets of challenges. One set of challenges is simply guarding the gate. The other challenge is winning the PR fight. And we got to figure out a way to do both at the same time. And that is the rub. Well, and that brings up a great point. I'm glad you brought up this this wildlife killing contest thing because – Boy, that's a hard one. Uh, I don't like wildlife killing contests. I mean, honestly, like, uh, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I there's, and, and I don't want to, I, I don't know all the details, but uh, I can tell you that's not a great representation of the whole model of North American hunting. At the same time, what those guys are doing I mean, they're, they're not, there's not much harm. There's a lot of good being done inside of thinning out predators. And I know the science that it doesn't always help, you know, the game animals and all the different things. Um, so in some ways I'm like, yeah, a, a wildlife killing contest is different than what we're talking about. But at the same time, if you give them that, they're going to just come after something else. So I'm torn on that mark and That's, I'm, I'm openly, us, yeah, it's a openly tricky thing. Because when I saw that stuff coming from a hunter, I thought, man, this is not good. I mean, like, th- like I don't, I, I can't get behind that film. And I'm, I'm kind of making myself vulnerable here. But, like, you're not going to see me promoting that film. At the same time, I see what they're saying. I mean, uh, and that is one little caveat that is very, it's its own little animal you know, yeah, a man. contest, uh, and, uh, it's very different than predator hunting. Like the, the problem with supporting that is that then you kind of fall into this camp of this idea that you support, you know, you don't support predator hunting, which is tough here. Here's something about, um, these things, Mark, is that, uh, well, you, you talked about people, there's wide support, wide public support for hunting as a, uh, as a, as a food source, you know, if we're hunting because we're going to eat the food, then it's totally okay. That's where a lot of these things, there's very few animals that we kill that we can't eat and the meat isn't great. And if we're talking about the two big predators that most people are talking about mountain lions and bears, I mean, this is just totally a PR thing. I mean, like mountain lion and bear meat is incredible. And that's what I've said as publisher of bear hunting magazine. And I said it, publicly recently a big part of the future of bear hunting will be determined by how well that we number one utilize our bear meat as hunters and number two tell people about that like i mean bear meat's incredible meat um and like the idea that killing a deer is more noble than killing a bear because you don't use the meat is just not it's just not true um there was a there was a gap in our history when just public perception of bear meat went down, you know, just like all kind of things kind of ebb and flow. And now we're bringing it back and we're saying, Hey, bear meat's actually an incredible food source, incredible meat. 
Um, we're killing bears to eat them, to utilize their fat, to utilize their, their hides. We actually use more of a bear than any other game animal in North America. And I, I would, I really believe that's true. I mean, I would say 90% of bears that are killed, their hides are tanned. And I could ask you, Mark, and, and it's, I'm not trying to set you up. I'm a white tail hunter too. I mean, how many tanned deer hides do you have in your house? I mean, you know, probably not very many. Just, just um, one. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's not, you, you see my point. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. We could use a lot of a bear. Um, and that food thing is important. It's important. And I think the, the, well, we, we've got to have people that have a robust understanding of the North American model that predator hunting is important. Uh, it, for its own reasons. And some of those reasons aren't food. Like if we're talking about coyotes, if we're talking about uh, raccoons, um, if we're talking about, and, and all these things you could eat, but we're, we're more hunting these animals for management purposes. Um, but food is a big part of it. It's a big part of it. And we've got to do a better job. And, and that's what meat eaters done so good at, been so good at is, is telling the story of the food aspect of, of hunting. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater and use promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full, great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This, this, this is my way of bull saying. If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood Pellet Grill.
so this story side of things is critical. I mean, it is it is a big part of the PR battle. Who's who's sharing their story more clearly and effectively? Because that's what life is. It's, it's a bunch of people all over the place. We're all telling our own stories about what we do or what we want or what we think the world should be like. And usually the way the world goes is in the direction of whichever story is more compelling, more clear, uh, is is truer about what it actually represents than the other than the other side. And so, if we want my my hypothesis here is that if we want to be able to guard the gate so keep up this keep the dam up while also winning the pr fight i think we we need to fine tune our storytelling around this and i don't mm-hmm. mean fictional stories i mean like talking about and showcasing and representing ourselves and what we're doing um in particular maybe as you described like there is a gap i think for some folks to understand what's the story for predator hunting. If you're not going to eat a wolf or a coyote, you're not yeah. going to eat a coon you, you shot out of the tree or a beaver that you trapped or something like that. You're someone who's had to, to think about this and talk about this. Can you tell, can, can you share with us the story you would share with someone about that? And I, yeah. I'm asking this because there might be a new hunter listening right now, someone who's right. gotten into deer hunting and they say, hey, I'm willing to give this thing a shot. I'm willing to feed my family with a deer. That sounds like something I could get behind. But they see someone talking about shooting a wolf or they see somebody talking about trapping a beaver or something They're like, ah, that just feels like if you're not going to eat it, I don't get it. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Can you, can you no, tell that great. story for folks? Well, the first piece and, and this right this phrase right here, Mark, ought to be on the lips of every North American hunter, all eleven point five million of us, is that one of the pillars of the North American model of wildlife conservation is non frivolous use of wildlife. Okay. So everything we do fits into everything we do that's legal fits into this idea that we do not kill wildlife just for fun. So, okay, if we took that pillar, we would say 97% of that pillar is fulfilled by us eating the meat of the animal that we harvest, whether it's an elk, whether it's a deer, whether it's a bear, whether it's a turkey, whether it's a squirrel, whether it's a rabbit, a pheasant, like non-frivolous use means we're going to, we're going to harvest this animal and we're going to eat it. But there are other reasons to kill an animal that have very productive outcomes for everything involved that do not prioritize the eating of the meat of that animal. And these would be fur-bearing animals in particular. Um, you know, we're just not, and, and I'm trying to, you know, the, well, here's the thing about meat too. There's no meat of any animal in North America that you can't eat. I mean, yeah, there might be could. a poisonous frog or something. I mean, like, but like you can eat a coon, you can eat a coyote, you can eat a wolf, you could eat a this, you could eat a that. Like it's not, you're not going to be poisoned by it. But the, the reason for the killing that animal, that may not be the number one reason you do it. Like for instance, let's talk about raccoons, which I'm, I'm a, I love to coon hunt, love it. Um, Coons are considered mesopredators, mid-sized predators. At one time on the landscape here in Arkansas and all over the country, um, there were t- there were gray wolves here. There were mountain lions here. 
you know, pre-European settlement and through some of European settlement. And w- those animals were removed, not, not necessarily even by hunters, but by society and by civilization, encroachment of civilization, taking away of habitat and by people just saying, we don't want them here. So that's not, can't be all on hunters. That's a lot of habitat related issues and whatnot. But regardless, they're no longer here for the most part. Well, the mid-sized predators, the mesopredators have significantly increased. And this isn't anecdotal. This is like research-based. There are, I think, 300 million raccoons in this country, which is far more than there were here pre-European settlement. And so raccoons need to be managed. And if the only reason, I mean, we, we are doing nothing but good things for the environment by taking raccoons out of that population uh, for many reasons I could go into, which is another rabbit hole. And uh, number one, those animals are going to die from distemper when they get overpopulated, which constantly happens research-based. Coon populations get overinflated. Uh, distemper runs through the herd, knocks them way down. Coons get hit on the road. Coons, you know, this these animals are going to die. They don't live forever. So a hunter going out, harvesting a coon, taking his hide, eating some of the meat occasionally, to me is like massive win. Non, and, it, and it fits into that 3%. You know, I said 97% of the non-frivolous use is fulfilled by eating the meat. There's yeah. this 3% non-frivolous use of that coon means you're taking his hide and it means that you're doing it with management goals in mind. Yeah. Um, so Mark, is that, does that satisfy you or I could go, I could probably continue. No, it's, it's a great, it's a great example. And I think you said something there that I think is, is really important, which is, which actually just slipped my mind, which is, I literally have just had a very strange brain, uh, deletion of what I wanted to say, but, but, uh, oh, yeah. maybe you were mesmerized by the coon stories. Yeah. The, the like, coon story I wish really I was me. down there with clay. <laughs> go coon hunting. What I, what I think I'm trying to say is that, is that an important thing to note is that it's, it's non-frivolous and that, oh, I know, I know what I'm trying to say here. It's a simple fact, but it's, it's. It changes the whole paradigm when you simply state these things are going to die. Everything dies. There's no life that extends in perpetuity. There's no raccoon that's going to live forever except for that bloodthirsty hunter. No, these animals, they, they live and die just like we do. And they are going to have deaths that are much shorter some will be much longer lived lives. Some will be much shorter. That's the, the nature of nature. And the fact that we can go in there on occasion with non-frivolous uh, intentions and, and, and take some of that in a managed fashion, I think that that is – there's just some simple beauty in the fact that in many cases, it's food-related. If not, it is still being done for some kind of use. And, oh, by right. the way, it's going to happen regardless of whether we're involved in it or not. If the hunter doesn't Absolutely. do it, it's still going to happen. It, Why not be participatory and also use something of this too? I think in that way, it, there's there's a simple defense there. You know, and that's a great point. And, and you know, some people could get hung up on, well – you know, what about the, what about the coon that you shot? Like, did it go through trauma? Did it, 
man, all animals are going to die in being killed at the hands of a hunter. 99.9% of the time is going to be much quicker, faster, ethical, more humane than the way that nature is going to take that animal out. Yeah. I mean, it's just true. And it's kind of a, like one of those blunt facts that like a big fish, cold, dead fish slapping somebody in the face. You don't, you don't like to pull it out yeah. very often because it's yeah. kind of cra- It's almost crass to say yeah. it like, but man, you see a bear, that bear will is guaranteed to die a pretty non-ceremonial, brutal death. Yeah. <laughs> and man, it's just true. And that's you know? and that cold wet fish of a fact is increasingly hidden under the covers by yes. society. Yes. Especially for folks that, that live far away from this stuff. The folks that live in a city that aren't engaged in the natural world as many of us are and see it. I think that's one of the best things about hunting is it opens your eyes to the reality of life and death. And and I think it it makes us understand and appreciate and respect so many things more because of that. Um I, I don't blame people who don't have that insight. I don't I don't uh look at them in disgust because they don't understand. I'm not even gonna be mad at them for not understanding it because maybe they just haven't had the opportunity to see these things, think about these things other than yeah. something they saw on TV or whatever. So it's it's really easy for someone who's never been exposed to this stuff to think that every animal out there is Simba and Mufasa and Rafiki and all these critters that my son's watching on the Lion King. And it is heartbreaking when Mufasa dies. And I get that. And my son cries. And I probably cried when I was eight years old. And I I can see why when we've personified and anthropomorphized animals so much in media that it would feel like an individual is, is being tragically removed from earth. But this stuff is the reality of the natural world. And that story is something that we got to be really good at telling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the whole, the story of mankind acquiring wild protein for sustenance for their families is as old. It's, it's the oldest story. I mean, it really is. And, and man has found ways to memorialize the hunt forever. I mean, going all the way back to the first art that was created by humans was typically was created around hunting. And, you know, and this is kind of getting romantic and, and I'm OK with that, Mark, because I'm a romantic. <laughs> but like, man, I go out here with my plot hounds and we tree a coon out in the mountains and kill it, take it. Man, I, I'll, I'll rub my hands on the on that hide and 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 thank God. I mean, and I'm, I'm not showboating here. I'm serious. I, if I, when I'm by myself, I, I just even do that. I'm just like, man, this is an incredible thing. Yeah. And, and and I think about the nobility. And again, this is romantic, but I'm okay with it. You know, I believe that's a more noble death than that animal dying of distemper in a hole in a tree. Um, I, I just do. And, uh, you know what, about 0.001% of the coon population is going to be harvested by a coon hunter. I mean, like most of them are going to die in another way. And, uh, so for somebody to come and say that that's not okay for me to do that, it's just, there's just no, there's just really no baseline other than like, 
a false hyper emotional anthropomorphic argument that just doesn't fall in line with the last gazillion years of human history. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, this argument, we can take it way back, but, but the further we go back, the more complicated it gets, but even the more clear it gets, you know? Yeah. And, and I think what we've, the message that we've got to show people is that we're the good guys that love wildlife, man. I mean, if you would, and I see it in you, I, I see it in massively throughout the hunting community is that we love these animals and I, and I'm careful to the way I use the word love there, you know, but like truly we value deeply value, deeply yeah. respect these animals. And it is our goal to utilize the wild, the, the, the commodities of these animals in the most honorable way possible. And, um, oh man, we could just go round and round. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, we're the good guys, you know, I, I agree, but I will, I will throw another thing out there. Which might sound a little radical. I love it. <laughs> Can't wait, Mark. But in some ways, and this is this is not there might there's I'm sure there are exceptions to this. But I can empathize with I imagine a number of the people on the other side of this issue. Because I think they, in their own way, they love animals. They care about wildlife. They care about wild places. And I empathize with them on that. I do too. I care about animals. I love animals and wildlife and wild places. They're coming at it from a just totally different perspective and from a different set of experiences. So they understand it in a different way. And so I I say that in that it's kind of on me and each one of us to, maybe that's not what I want to try to say here. I think it's, not productive to look at these other people who might challenge us on hunting as the bad guys yeah as adver- as adversaries now of course like in some cases they are but at the same time right. sometimes these are people that really like wildlife they really like animals and they mm-hmm. want to make sure wildlife's out there and they want to make sure that there's thriving populations all the same things i want yeah. so it might be part of me wants to say these guys are assholes and they're driving me nuts and I'm sick and tired of these crazy emotional appeals they're making and the stuff they put out there that's you know they're they're misrepresenting us or they're twisting what we're doing or yada 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 it'd be really easy to get angry and look at these people as they're the bad guys they're the bad guys but is that productive or would the more productive thing be to say you know what the majority of you folks out there actually see a lot of the same things the same way as I do. I want more. Yeah. I want healthy populations of animals. I want healthy ecosystems. I want A, B, C, D. Maybe rather than calling you an asshole, maybe I could just call you to the table and say, hey, let's talk about this. Maybe yeah. maybe you're not a jackass. Maybe I'm not a jackass. Maybe we both have more in common than we realize. Let's talk. I think yeah. that if 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 we can do that, more often, maybe they can do that more often. Now, again, there's exceptions yeah. to all of this. I'm not saying there's not yeah. some real turds out there <laughs> floating in the punch bowl, as my friend Steve right. Martilla would say. But, <laughs> but maybe, maybe if we look at it that way a little bit more often, we'll have more positive direction too. I, yeah. I don't know. These are all the random yeah. things that pop in my head when I think about this stuff. But I think that's one piece of the puzzle too. Well, and I think that's what I was trying to communicate when I was 
talking about Shane Mahoney's comment about yeah, these. Yeah. Most of these people aren't our enemies. Um, you know, th- there's there's some radicalized people that would directly be, you know, would directly be. But there's a lot that aren't. There's a lot that have the same ideas as us. And what you just said is a can of worms, Mark, because the 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 climate of 2021 is deep polarization. Oh yeah. And a deep inability to give any compromise because we're fearful that any compromise will lead to a snowball effect of something really negative happening. And like you you might hear me talking about guard the gate and you say, "Well, Clay, you're you're saying no compromise." And in many ways I am. But I'm also saying you know that we need to do what you just said which is which is build alliances with like-minded people that want to have our goals and try to tell our story to them not to convince them to become us but just to convince them that we're on the same side as them. Yeah. Um and that's that's what some of these conservation groups are doing and there's there's just like in a battle and and, and not to use a violent example but you know there's different strategies for for winning, you know, and, um, sometimes we have to be real direct and put our foot in the sand. Other times there is a place to, there is a place to, and I guess, I'm not saying compromise. I'm just saying, tell our story and say, Hey, we're after the same things. Yeah. We're really after the same things. I think that, that there's those two pieces of the puzzle. There's this, this story, this PR, and that's where maybe not compromise is the right word, but it's, it's, it's just being open to talking about stuff. It's just sitting down at the same table. We might we might still disagree, but let's not be disagreeable. How about that? Yeah. Let's at least sit yeah. down at the table and talk about this stuff and make sure you clearly understand what I'm talking about. And hey, I'll listen to you. I, I might yeah. disagree with you on it. I might still say, nope, this is the line in the sand, but I'll hear you out. And then yeah. hopefully if you know, if we take the initiative there and are willing to put a hand across the aisle and say, Hey, let's talk, let's listen you know, you're more apt to get similar treatment coming back. So, mm-hmm. so I, I see mm-hmm. that as part of the pie. And then the second piece is though, exactly what you're talking about, which is stand strong at the gate though. And, and I want to, we've spent a lot of time about this like weird, soupy, muddy mixture of how we talk about this, how we think about this, how do we defend what we do in certain ways? How do we tell that story? And like you said, sometimes that gets romantic. Sometimes this gets like deep, um, Maybe no one's listening anymore, Clay. I don't know. It might just be just you and me. Just but, me and you. But, but if there's anyone else still listening, I do want to get in some brass tacks, some yeah. actual actionable things we can do to guard the gate, to make sure that there isn't this shifting baseline, to make sure that they can't keep chipping away at things. Um, yeah. And, and so I want to ask you two things. Number one, I'd love – if you think this is relevant to your action items, I'd love to explore the example of what just happened in California. And mm-hmm. then number two, I'd love to hear your key takeaways for how we can guard the gate better. What kind of action we can take okay. to make sure this thing isn't eroded slowly at by day by day by yeah. day. Um, yeah. I, I think, uh, I think maybe a good way to do it, Mark, is I've got five action points here that maybe we could just run through pretty quick. And then we could end on the California thing because it was a, a good example of one part of the act, the, the engagement points. Does that Perfect. sound good to you? That sounds great. Okay. So a, a, a core idea inside of Guard the Gate is, is unity inside the hunting community. So 
one of the action points is that as hunters, I think it's very important that we don't talk negatively about other types of legal hunting. It's just that simple. If it's true that we've got nothing left to give, then the bow hunter in Wisconsin or Arkansas doesn't need to, he, 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 I mean, you can disagree, but like publicly talking about negatively about other forms of legal hunting, I just think degradates the whole system. Like just have empathy towards other people and realize that, yeah, trapping, uh, bear hunting with hounds, squirrel hunting with dogs, uh, pheasant hunting, like that other thing is somebody's passion that it has a whole lot of things that are similar to you, slightly different, but a whole lot that is similar. And so just take one for the team in 2021, just take one for the team. And like, I'm not going to talk negatively about crossbow whitetail hunters. You know, I don't want to shoot a deer with a crossbow. Um, <laughs> I mean, whatever. I am going to promote that. I'm going to love it when somebody does it. I'm not secretly going to tell my kids that it's less of a thing to kill a deer with a crossbow than it like, cause that happens all the time. Can I, I mean, like, can I, you bet. I'm going to go ahead. I am just being, uh, the challenger today. I'm sorry, but I, uh, but I, I feel like you're someone who I can have this conversation with and you can, we can like, hash out the things that I have to hash out with myself when I'm going on my runs in the morning. It's so much more fun to actually have a real person to talk to about this. So yeah. is there any line over which you would change your opinion on that? So you is, know, there, is go, there anything that you would, could be, is there any way you could be convinced otherwise? Or is there some line in the sand that if someone crossed, is it simply, is it legal versus illegal? Or is there anything else that would change your stance on that? I think I think from a high level statement, I would say that the chaff has been blown away from the North American hunting. We found a model that works, and so in 2021, anything that is legal, I would stand behind. I, like that's my general statement. Okay. Um, does that mean that we're not going to continue to fine tune things a little bit? Probably, but those things are going to be the outliers. I would say, Mark. Um, okay. and I grew up, man, I'm, I'm talking, you're talking to somebody that was deeply indoctrinated as a whitetail bow hunter. I mean, my dad doesn't even own a deer rifle. Uh, my dad, God love him. And so do I, he talked very negatively about crossbows and he would today if he were here, uh, you know, like, so <laughs> I just see that as like, man, we can't do that anymore. It's like, it's okay if a guy uses a crossbow Yeah, and I, I, and we could get into all the arguments of, you know, management and liberalizing seasons and stuff. And I think we're just in a new place where we got to think about it different. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying crossbows are archery equipment, you know, like maybe we need different seasons. Like that's, that's the can of worms I'm not trying to get into. But is that clear, Mark, what I just said? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I mean, the it goes back to one of the things we talked about earlier, which is the all in the same boat versus punching holes in the boat. So I think there is an argument that some people might make, not with crossbows, but there might be something else where they could say, well, this thing's technically legal, but it's, uh, some might argue this thing is punching holes in the boat. So uh, we've already kind of explored that. We don't need to dive back into it, but but I, I agree with what you're saying is that we really need to, in general, be together on this stuff, band together on this stuff, yeah. and and make sure that we – where I think we can challenge each other. How about this? Let's all be unified 
and stick up for each other and and not talk negatively about each other. But I would argue there's room for us to challenge each other on how we tell our stories. Yeah. So in that, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's like certain that. things like, hey, maybe it's maybe you don't call someone up publicly about this thing, but hey, buddy, uh, did you think about how this might look to so and so, or what this might yes. impact to so and so? So, so maybe there's room for those conversations though. Still, we've got to police ourselves, Mark. And I've I've said that before in the bear hunting community. I've preached it to the bear hunting magazine people. Is that the only way to really bring about social change is to is to talk to people like in partic- particularly about social media stuff around uh, bear hunting and stuff like, yeah, you, you, you got to build a culture that like, it's not okay to do that. And that culture is built by people confronting people. But I, I think if it's done in the right way, if the culture's right, then we all realize we're kind of on the same team, yeah. you know? And, and so the general point, number one is unity. And, and absolutely it means that you're going to have to, kind of take one for the team and that is a hard thing for humans to do but i'm just i'm telling you if we want this incredible lifestyle that we all live to persist we're gonna have to take one for the team that means that you're telling me that if i don't like antler point restrictions i can't call the guys that do want aprs assholes or I can't. <laughs> you know, now, there's so many things the like that. Technicalities of <laughs> that kind of law, Mark, and that's a good example. I mean, I'm talking about the more general, high level. Like, is it okay to hunt deer? Is it okay to use bait? Is it okay to, you know, like getting into like management stuff? Like, yeah, I mean, we could challenge each other. But oh, but I'm, general, I'm totally kidding. I'm I'm 100 okay, okay, okay. on board with you. And that and that yes, like there's all these like. There's so many different little things that people like to yell at each other about and complain on Facebook yeah. about and bash people about and all of it, you know, let's, let's, let's remember we're on the same team here. You might like to wear a different color shirt than I do on certain days. You might like to do this a little bit differently, but come on. Uh, in, in the way I like what you said, we do have the right to, to talk to people about the way they tell their story. Cause everybody knows somebody that just does not portray the way we hunt in a good way. And, and, and we do have to find ways to minimize that. But the, the main thing is that we, we, we replicate the good things. So, you know, and, and some of these other points deal with these things, Mark. Um, the, 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 the second point that I had here was engaged political activism at times when it's appropriate. And, uh, and, and boy, it's a tough one, but there will be times when you'll be called upon to sign a petition or do something that kind of got to go out of your way to, to make your voice heard inside of this democratic society we live in that you may, you just decide, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a stance on this, even if it doesn't affect me. And that's where we'll get into the California thing later is that it was a bunch of people not from California that helped influence a potential bill in California. Um, so at the right time and in the right way, engage political activism. But I don't even think that's the main thing, Mark. Um, number three, and I'm going to get to what I believe is the main thing. But so number three would be put your money where your mouth is and become lifelong members of organizations that are dedicated to truly engaging in these struggles in very productive ways. And there's a ton of them. And, and, and 
I have no affiliation with this group, but I, 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 I vowed to say, I think every hunter in North America ought to be a, a life member of the Sportsman's Alliance. Uh, they are an incredible group, um, and they are actively involved in fighting legislation. So like Clay Newcomb could get on social media and say, hey, that's bad. I don't like that. How much good that does, I don't know. These guys are dedicated. They know how political systems work. They know where to push the buttons. They know when to do things, when not to do things. I mean, these guys are pros and they work behind the scenes and they're an incredible group. And there's a ton of them. I mean, you know, joining National Wild Turkey Federation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, National Deer Alliance. I mean, like all these groups. Like, So my point is every single one of us ought to be enrolled and active paying members of at least two or three sportsmen's groups and not just joining for a year and forgetting about it, but just saying like, Hey, I'm going to dedicate. I'm just going to, this is just something I do. I just stay a member of this organization, support them financially. We got to put our money where our mouth is. You ever, um, you ever thought about starting a bear hunting organization? Um, it's been brought up many, many times, Mark. And I just don't, I don't know that I'm the man for it. Uh, it would, uh, I mean, yes, I have, but it's a, it's a tough one. And, and I, and I'm not, I wonder why there yeah, isn't one yet. Story. I mean, just there's not enough, not enough hunters. That- well, there, there is, there is, there, uh, the Western bear foundation is a great organization and they would be one that would be on my list of great organizations to be members of. Um, they're a little bit more Western focused, so it's not a national bear organizations, man. There's some great state bear organizations, Michigan bear hunters, man. If you're not, even if you're not in Michigan, you should be a member of those guys. I, I like that group, Michigan bear hunters, Wisconsin bear hunters, um, a lot to be learned from the way they run their organizations and what they do. Really smart guys, really unified, organized, um, and that's a whole nother podcast, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but join sportsman's groups. I mean, that's the simple thing. So number one, Mark is unity, unity inside the hunting community. Don't talk bad about somebody just cause you don't like the way they do something. Just take one for the team, be a big boy, pull your pants up and just like, be like, Hey, this guy, I probably have a ton in common with this guy, except for this one little disagreement. Unity. Number two, engage political activism when called upon. Number three, join sportsmen's groups that represent what you want and uh, man shameless plug for sportsman's alliance everybody ought to be a member of sports sportsman's alliance and then man here here's the biggest one mark here's the biggest one and it's it's one that people might go what but man we got to have a massive dose of self-introspection like if i am proclaiming that we need to you know, clean up the hunting community and, and clarify our narrative and, you know, improve our public perception. Those are external things that reflect something internal. And I have to make sure that Clay Newcomb is living the values behind closed doors that I'm proclaiming, because there is one thing that human nature will never refute. And that is authenticity, man. Everybody and their brother can tell when somebody is a fake, when somebody is a liar, when somebody is not representing what they say they are. And 
we have to clean the inside of the cup first to make the outside clean. So I, I challenge everybody and I challenge myself that if Clay Newcomb talks about the utilization of bear meat and how we've got to do better at telling the world that we use our bear meat, man, I got to use my bear meat. I've got to, I've got to really value it. I've got to, you know, and I've not done everything perfect at all. Like if I talk about adherence to game laws and how game laws are the salvation of North American wildlife, then by God, I better obey the game laws. And I better make sure that anybody that's around me is obeying the game laws. Um, you know, clean the inside of the cup. If we want hunters to be, if we're saying that this lifestyle is worth preserving for whatever reason, then we better be walking the walk. And man, I don't say that from like a preachy place. I say that truly from a place of I want to look at my life and find the places where my proclamation does not line up with my my actual activity. And there are places. And clean the inside of the cup. Because if hunters, if we're saying we're the good guys, we've really got to be the good guys. Um, Amen. Amen to that. Yeah. So and that's that's important. And then the, the fifth thing I have down here, Mark, is t- to become a herald. A herald would be, you know, like a like a mouthpiece. And I storyteller. Think, uh, I, yeah, and, and and I think a lot of these ideas of what we've talked about, like 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 the science behind the North American wildlife, wildlife conservation, uh, talking about using the commodities of wildlife, talking about the way that we, you know, healthy organic meat that's way more environmentally sustainable than going to the grocery store and buying a beefsteak. Like some of these things, just we just need to practice. Like some people hear us talk, they hear you talk about whitetail hunting, and they go, "Man, how does the, the guy's brilliant? He can." Nobody's talk thinking that. <laughs> Nobody's thinking that. <laughs> I, I bet they. Are. I know they are. Uh, it's because you you talk about it every day, Mark. Yeah. I mean, like it. It didn't just come naturally. I mean, it, it, there was some natural, but you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I know my the narratives that I now very clearly can express. 10 years ago, I couldn't. And it's come by practice. It's come by thinking about it. And, 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 and this is true in every sector of our lives is that there was a time for well, like whitetail hunting. There was a time when nobody knew anything about whitetail hunting. In the early 80s, like actual scientific knowledge of how to hunt whitetail deer was like relatively small. Today, my son, who's 15 years old in 2021, probably knows more about whitetail biology than like a pretty good bow hunter did in the 1970s. I'm not yeah. saying how to kill one, but just like if you were to take a test and say, when is the peak of the whitetail rut? What is whitetail gestation? What do antlers need to grow? What, yeah. you know, yada, yada, yada. The narrative got stronger as people were educated. That's what we need. Like, we just need people that understand bear hunting. They understand why we bait bears. They understand why we run hounds. They understand why we need predator management. They understand mesopredators. They understand, um, you know, just that, well, of course we eat bear. We actually utilize that more than almost any other big game animal we take. So the narrative's got to get stronger. And the more people hear people talk, the more it's going to be readily on people's tongues. Man, all the time. I mean, in, in you and I being an outdoor media, we probably get it more, but like, uh, you know, very often, very often people inside of our circle of friends who are not hunters, and there's lots of them that, you know, 
parents of the kids that my kids go to school with. You know, I, I just have these little, I, I talk to them, you know, um, and I'm pretty intentional about the way that I portray what we do. Yeah. Because I want them to understand. And uh, so to become a herald, um, we, we've got to, we've got to tell our story. You know, and, and that goes, that's not just outdoor media people. That's the guy that will never be on outdoor media, but just his circle of friends, his influence, he is portraying a positive light. You know, there was a time, Mark, and boy, I'm getting romantic, deep romanticism here. But there was a time, <laughs> there was a time when hunters were known, there were men of renown in their communities. I mean, like I talked with the lead historian of the Ozarks, a guy named Brooks Blevins. I, I love the guy. And, um, you know, bear hunters were the rock stars of the 1800s. They truly were. Like, they were the sports stars. They were, the, like, the they were the celebrities because, you know, there were, no, there were no sports teams. There was no social media. These guys were known as leaders in their communities because of their hunting prowess. And, and there's no real direct correlation here, but I'm just saying, sometimes I think when people think of hunters, they just think of these, you know, they think of a really negative thing. I think we could change that. Yeah. And I think that's what, what we're on track to do with just, I mean, there's not a whole lot of sectors of society that are really well educated. Like what if you could just pick a guy out of the crowd that had a hunting license and he was just full of information, just full of just like, man, North American model of wildlife conservation, da, 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 da you know, just yeah. like, 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 like we just permeated because we're so passionate about this, because this, this lifestyle that we lead is so essential to the human existence, which it is. I like, I believe that hunting is, I mean, it's just, it's just so, it's such a primitive thing. It's not like playing tennis. I'm sorry. It's not, uh, it's, it's such a primitive human thing that has affected so much of our deep human history. It's that, what made like, us. man. I, I want to fight for this thing. When I say fight, I, I mean, I want to be educated. I want to see this last. I want to see this persist. I want people to be spokesmen and representatives of hunting in an honorable way. That's like deeply, deeply valuable to me. And, and I think we can do it. I think we can do it. Like there's a lot of people that would have a pretty grim look at hunting. Man, not me. I, we, I think we're, I think we're on the, an upward trajectory and, uh, we gotta be, we gotta be smarter. We gotta be wiser. We gotta be more unified and we can do it. I think we can do it, Mark. I'm right there with you. And I think if we can follow this, uh, this roadmap you, you spelled out for us, I think that's the way to do it. I, uh, I'm glad we're able to have this conversation. This is, it's one of those things that at the surface seems simple, but if you dig down, it becomes much more complicated as I think we've seen throughout this conversation as we dove into these different things and conflicting opinions and different ways to look at stuff. And, and all that's to say that we, we have to be educated and we have to practice both thinking and talking about these things and walking the walk. And uh, if, if we do that and if we can spread that, this game plan, I think, like you just said, the the future is bright. So uh, I I wanted to 
to spend a lot of time exploring the California example. We're running out of time, <laughs> so we can't. Yeah. But I, I'm not I'm not upset about that because we've 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 covered plenty of really good stuff. Can you give me like the the two minute rundown of California? Because I you think bet. I think it ends us in a place of of positivity. It, it shows us an example of how we can do these things and, and have a positive outcomes. Um, yeah. Give me this victory story to wrap us up. So there was a senator in California that proposed an all-out ban on California bear hunting, which is a fairly unprecedented thing. Uh, most of the time, these groups go after go after different parts of hunting. You know, like like for example, in Colorado, they outlawed hunting over bait and hunting with hounds, but you can still hunt bears there. This California and California's done the same thing. At one time, you could hunt ha- with hounds. At one time, you could bait. Now you can't. They, th- this was an all out ban. It was portrayed as let's end trophy hunting in California. I can't believe in 2021 that this still, this barbaric practice still exists. That was the way it was portrayed. The bill was proposed. It was called SB 252. And w- because it was, it was just proposed. So it wasn't actually in action and, and, you know, it wasn't like in front of the, the, the legislators, but it was proclaimed that it would be. Well, this senator put up this put up this little picture on Instagram, and this guy I saw where he had like most of his posts marked that he would make on his Instagram might get between fifty and a hundred comments. Like if you just looked back at his stuff, I think after about a twenty four hour period, he had twelve hundred comments on that one post and about 95% of them were hunters coming in and saying this bill is not based upon science. This is not a good bill for the state. This is not a good bill for bear hunting. And man, it was awesome. Like a few outdoor people that had influence came in and were the first to start making comments. And then the world just flocked to that. Really did, and uh, within two days the guy withdrew the bill, and I, I speculate on what happened in that he had no idea that people outside of his jurisdiction, which in his jurisdiction, which was I think in the San Francisco area, um, he felt like this was just going to be a lob pitch, you know, to his base, and they would be like, oh yeah, well, he was met with stiff opposition. And they dropped the bill. And uh, it, 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 you know, it was a small victory, if we're being honest, in some ways. In other ways, it was a big victory because we saw what would happen if the, if the, whole, if the whole of the hunting community united, which was great. There were guys on there saying, I'm not a bear hunter, but this is bad for bears. You know, people that never hunted California never will. So, it was a great example of unification and uh man there's so many other things that's the hard part since that time mark my inbox is of 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 other bad stuff happening across the country and uh but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about this one and he dropped the bill you know, dropped it i think you missed one thing in your roadmap or in your action plan okay and i think that is 
and maybe maybe you had this stuck inside of one of your five rules, but it was it could probably be tailored into the being engaged, but it's staying informed. It's it's yeah, yeah. it's it's really easy for these things to to just happen without most people knowing about it, unless you know someone who had a great big following you know, shared that, Oh, this is out there. And then all of a sudden it got attention. We were able to do something about it, but it is a little bit on each one of us individually to as best as possible, stay up on things going on. And and maybe that's achieved by joining these different conservation organizations. Maybe that's achieved by just, you know, reading through what's happening in your state every once in a while, or, or checking in with someone who does this for a living or whatever it is. I don't know what the solution is there, but but it is a little bit on each of us to to try to stay educated on this too, so that you can become engaged when needed. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, this is a, this was a great example of of the hunting community as a whole rallying around something that maybe wouldn't impact a lot of those people directly immediately, but but we rallied around it and and we were able to squash it before it ballooned into something that all of a sudden had a momentum of its own in the other direction. So. Yeah. I think it's a I think it's a great example of what we can do when we when we do those things you talked about and um I just want to make sure we make a trend of that and not yeah. the opposite. So Yeah. This has been great, Clay. I've uh I've really enjoyed this. Um it makes me it makes me just want to have you on the podcast every week to talk through the tough questions I have in my own mind. <laughs> and uh, You can be my <laughs> my sounding board as uh as I examine all the other questions. Um but for people that want to stay up to date on the new stuff you've got coming down the line, the podcast, all your other content, where should people be looking for that? Yeah, so you know, all my content right now is going to be on the meteor.com and stay tuned for very soon. And I'm just gonna I've been saying very soon for a long time, Mark, but uh sometime, let's just say in the next two months, I think that's fair. You're going to see a, a new podcast coming out from Mediator that I'm going to be uh, the host of. And it's going to be a really innovative podcast, Mark. Um, it's going to be a ton of fun. It's going to be different. I, I really think a broad base of people is going to enjoy it. It's not about bear hunting. It's not about guarding the gate necessarily. I mean, there'll be components of it that will be. But it, I think it's the kind of podcast that you'd want to kick on just – even with your non-hunting friends, um, but it's it's and I just can't give too much away about it. But it's going to be a documentary style podcast, kind of an efficient listen, um, and uh, going to really dive deep into some cool topics with cool people. And I'm very very excited about it. Um, and then so my my other business. Uh, is Bear Hunting Magazine. So we we publish a print magazine, bi-monthly magazine, um, that is a good place to stay up with 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 the bear hunting world, tips and tactics. I mean, you know, we've been in print for 20 years, and it's the only print bear hunting magazine in the world. And uh, so that's that is another thing that I do aside from Meat Eater. That's working with Meat Eater. Um, but yeah, that's where they can find me, Mark. All right. Perfect. Well, uh, Clay, I just want to thank you for taking the time to uh, indulge my questions and wanderings and ramblings. And uh, this is a lot of fun. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you. All right. That is a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for hearing us out. Thanks for thinking about and considering some of these issues and questions. 
let's all try to remember Clay's five steps towards a better future for hunting. I think he's on some great things here, and there's certainly more that we can all think about, me too, as I try to uh, figure out how I personally can you know, make a meaningful impact on this issue. And I think as a group together, we can all do it. So with that said, thank you for listening. Thanks for your attention. If you're out there scouting or shed hunting or working on habitat, I hope you're having a blast. Enjoy the great outdoors. Enjoy your deer hunting pursuit. This is a dang good thing we've got. So uh, with that said, thanks and stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.